The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome to the Utah Symphony's Ghost Light podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts, and I am joined today by acclaimed opera stage director, Paul Curran. Paul, welcome to the Ghost Light Podcast. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us over the phone today. Where are you in the world? Uh, I'm at home in Albany, New York. Albany, New York. Well, so it's not too early there. Thanks for, uh, thanks for making time no, for us no, today. No, no, it's still quite, it's still reasonable, uh, uh, not too early in the morning. Excellent. Well, Paul will be directing the upcoming production of Man of La Mancha with Utah Opera, but that's not what I want to talk to you about first, Paul. I... I read in, in an interview recently that your first opera viewing experience was actually Wozzeck, which seems to me an incredible and baffling introduction to the art form. How did that, how did starting out in the deep end of the pool, so to speak, determine your personal trajectory as an artist? Well, yeah, it was uh, Alban Berg's Wozzeck, but it wasn't baffling and it wasn't confusing or anything at all. Because when I went to see it, I went with a school party. It was one of my teachers at school. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was the, our English teacher that took us to school. Here's the thing. Nobody said this is going to be difficult. Nobody ever thought about it like that. I certainly didn't. Yeah. So I just go to see this fantastic show with amazing music and amazing people. Um, and a story that was a little bit, I grew up in the projects, that was a little bit like growing up in the projects. Here's a, you know, a single mother trying to look after her kid, and she has this kind of deadbeat. Um, partner who's the father of her child, blah, blah, blah. It was a terrific story. I loved it. Um, and I, I guess it's kind of influenced me ever since because it's made me a little bit fearless because, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of. And will I like this? Will I not like this? It's just another story. I love that you say that no one told you that you should be worried about how strange or modern this music was. They just told you you're going to hear an opera, and that's and that was enough said. I think that's probably the way we should approach all contemporary uh, repertoire and all art forms, actually. Well, one of my when I was years, many years ago, and many many pounds ago, I was a ballet dancer, and um, I remember one of my my um, teachers saying to me that only an auctioneer is under obligation to admire all schools of art, you know, because so, they're selling stuff, right? Sure. So it doesn't matter what it is. You just go and see it. And at the end of it, then you can say, I like that or I didn't like it. Yeah. So if anybody's going to come and see or thinking of coming to see a man of La Mancha and it's an opera company, you're like, oh, what's this going to be? Then you say, yeah, I'm going to go and see it because it's, it's a great opera company doing a great piece. I definitely want to come back to La Mancha, but I do want to talk a little bit more about Berg because I, I told you in an email that I sent you that I saw your Lulu back in at Chicago Lyric. I think it was 2008. Yeah, yeah. right. And I, and I loved the way you directed the title character because I felt like you didn't just fall into the, the binary uh, choice of either make her sympathetic or lurid. You chose to make her very complicated, and I appreciated that. And I suspect that some of the same considerations will be in play with a character like Cervantes slash Quixote, which he certainly can be projected in a very sort of one-note, either comical or tragic way. How how are you going to approach Quixote in this uh, production of La Mancha? Well, first of all, I'm I'm thrilled that you saw Lulu uh, in Chicago. It was really one of the greatest challenges I've ever done. But Lulu like Don Quixote or Cervantes in the piece is a very, very complex character. I mean, an an extraordinarily complex character um, in that they're part idealist, they're part humanitarian, they're also a little foolish. 
you know, and some of what Cervantes does or Don Quixote does in the piece, the choices are a little bit questionable, but exactly the same as Lulu. So the approach to this is going to be that what I need to remember is that, of course, he's not just one character. This is actually two characters. Uh, there's Cervantes, who is the writer, who is the guy that's been jailed or right. the guy that's being tried by the Inquisition, who then, as part of his defense, becomes the character Don Quixote. It is an invention. So it's kind of like a mask that he's hiding behind. Um, yeah, so that, it kind of makes me, you know what it makes me think? I've just been teaching recently at the University of Michigan. Yeah. It's a little bit like being a teacher because, you know, when you're a teacher, let's say your name's Jane Smith. In the classroom, everybody calls you Miss Smith. You're Miss Smith. You're, you're that person. But it's the same. There is also Jane. So it's the same with me. There is also, there is Paul and there is also Mr. Curran. And I think what sort of the, the writers, Mitch Lee, etc., do in this piece is that they find a character that's got more than the one dimension. Um, and that's what makes it interesting. A person that actually makes mistakes and that also is trying to do good. Absolutely. I'm, you know, I'm reminded of what Dostoevsky once said about the character of Quixote, and he based his book, The Idiot, loosely on Cervantes. Yeah. And he once said, and I'll probably misquote this, but the gist is that Don Quixote is beautiful because he's ridiculous. And I think it's, yeah. it's, it's important to capture both adjectives. He has to be both beautiful yeah. and ridiculous, right? Красиво, потому что он смешной. Yes, I remember the quote very well. <laughs> I, I could not have done it in the Russian. Thank you. Very, did, did I get it close? <laughs> <laughs> just one of those things that sticks in your head. I think that's great. Um, so let's... I mean, listen, one of the th let, let me say, one of yeah. the things about Don Quixote is that, what's amazing, or rather Cervantes, is that the duality is so fascinating because it's it's really too simplistic for us only to have the Don Quixote character. Right. Because the Don Quixote, the, the Don Quixote character is the more two-dimensional of the two. Sure. The, the really interesting thing in the mix there is that Cervantes is improvising the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, this is not what he's playing as Don Quixote. is not a past or a filmed event or anything like that. It's very, very much his present. Right. And he's the guy that's that's improvising it like crazy. That makes for a really interesting drama because we as an audience should be saying, what's going to happen next? What's it, what are they going to say next? He's sort, of, he's sort of novelizing this character in real time in front of his yeah. sort of prison colleagues. It's, you know, you've... You've hinted at the fact that La Mancha is a classic sort of play within a play scenario, which I, I think is interesting. It's other operas have done this, Ariadne, Pagliacci, others. And um, I wonder for you, does this conceit, does the conceit of the play within a play offer any special challenges when compared to a more straightforward story, or is it all just opportunity? Well, I mean, the challenges are really trying to keep it alive, you know, and allow the audience to see or you know, even get in on what is being invented moment by moment. Mm -hmm. So for me, as I said, the interesting area is is really in the blurred lines in between the parts of the story. Um, it's kind of like, you know, that dream thing that you have when you first waken up and you've, you've woken up from a dream and you're not entirely sure what, you know, what reality is. It, right. It's only seconds, but it's only seconds of going, where am I? What am I? Oh, yeah, of course, right. Waking up, get up, go to work, do our thing. <laughs> so that sort of in-between state, that kind of bizarre dream state, I think is where Cervantes is in how he's portraying uh, Don Quixote because he's reacting not only to his own idea and invention, mm -hmm. but he's reacting to these rather dangerous and violent prisoners who basically are robbing him blind of everything he has. Right. Um, so the challenges are in, I think, and I think trying to keep this this 
duality of a story alive, but also not just to let Man of La Mancha become this exactly the same Man of La Mancha that everybody has seen for the past, you know, 50 years, the world over, that that is accepted, you know, oh, it's a cute story of he sees this girl and he thinks she's beautiful and blah, blah. I, I don't understand that because theatre for me is ephemera. It's something that comes and goes. Mm-hmm. So it has to be something that is of the moment and that is pertinent to the moment that is now. So it's got to be something that an audience sitting there says, wow, I didn't think of it that way. I didn't know it was it was that interesting or that deep. I'm, you know, C- Cervantes, the character is not only sort of staring down his 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 very terrible uh, prison mates. He's also sort of facing the sword of the Inquisition throughout. You know that's looming if you know the story. And I suspect there's an aspect of, you know, laugh to keep yourself from crying. It's sort of mixed in with all this too, right? Oh, for sure. I mean. The basis of all comedy is basically clowns are very sad people. Yeah. And if you look just psychologically, one of the things I've often said again in directing and teaching is, is when people get uncomfortable, they tend to giggle and they tend to laugh because it's a mask. It's a way of dealing with something that is difficult and that is that can be sad or can be challenging. So, yeah, he definitely uses uh, comedy and humor and the piece uses comedy and humor to alleviate us from a very heavy story. Yeah. Let's talk about La Mancha, the, the piece, the work for a second here, because I, I'm I'm I've been told by our uh, mutual colleague Christopher Macbeth that you have a very good answer to the following question and the, the question people seem to be asking about this production because we haven't done a lot of this sort of thing here is wait a minute this isn't an opera right this is a musical what's going on I mean what do you say to that is this are we, are we really talking about a difference without a distinction here well yeah I mean when I hear people who you know are purists um, saying, well, this is an opera company. We should, we should, we should be doing opera. I, I sort of don't understand that because, you know, who, what is pure? Was Monteverdi so pure in his choice of a corrupt, deviant Roman emperor, or you know, was Verdi just really breaking the mold in de- depicting who was a very, very well-known prostitute who was dead only six years before? Right putting this on the stage and making uh, an opera of it for the Venetian public. Mm-hmm. It's music theatre, and that's one of the, the main things about this, is the difference between an opera and a musical for me is quite simply in the gravity and the complexity of the music. And this piece has some interesting and grave music, but it's not particularly complex, but it does tell its story extremely well. Right. So... You know, I I, th- I find it extraordinary that um, that people that people would make such a distinction as if composers set out deliberately to write heavy works or light works. I, I don't think they really did. <laughs> I think people set out to tell stories and write music, and that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I, you know, this isn't new, not only in Utah opera but in the industry. I mean, you you see showboats and My Fair Ladies and things like this popping yeah. up on opera seasons all over the the world. Really, I mean, uh, Chicago yeah. Lyric does it, the Mets done it, everybody does it. So, the of course, pe- yeah. The, Open your mind, come and see. Yeah. Just go, just yeah. go and see. See if you like it. If you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, you don't like it. As I said. Well, one of my teachers said, only an auctioneer is under obligation to admire all schools of art. This is one of the most fantastic pieces. When we did this originally at Central City, um, 
there was quite a, the same questions were asked, you know, oh, is it going to be a serious work and all that. And I think people left the theatre um, after those shows quite um, moved and quite amazed mm. that this piece could have such an impact on them because it is such a deep, deep human story. It's such a story of, of struggle, of standing against things. And also the background of this story, the background of why that Wasserman and Lee wrote this piece was really about the transition in the 1960s that brought that brought about the, the let's say the the flower power era or the, the era of protest and questioning of what was going on in the world due to the insanity of the Vietnam War. Mm. So this is really a, a piece that it's about its time saying, I don't know what kind of world we're living in. Let's make a play and ask questions about our world. I would say safely in 2017, nothing is going to be as pertinent to us today as to ask what kind of crazy world are we living in? Absolutely true. Just in terms of nuts and bolts with regards to the story, I, I don't understand why people don't see this as a completely operatic experience. There's so many of the tropes we come to expect from, you know, traditional opera. The, pri- yeah, the, uh, the prison scene great is numbers, there. Great numbers, yeah. great arias, huge Absolutely. ensembles, scenes, comedy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's, I mean, it, it takes place in a prison. That certainly happened before. It takes place with a man facing death and trying to sing his way through it. That happens all the time in opera. And if the music is a little bit lighter in the opinion of the purist, I think that matches Quixote's personality perfectly. For actually. sure, yes, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, th- for example, here's here's a, an argument against people that might not say, oh, this is this serious enough. The great Russian ballerina, Anna Pavlova, Anna Pavlova made her debut at the Metropolitan Opera. I believe it was in 1912. I can't remember exactly. Mm. But how she made her debut was in the ballet Coppelia. But she made her debut at night after a performance of Werther. Uh-huh. So people sat through the whole of Werther, went out, they changed the sets and came back in. They said, oh, here's this new Russian lady that's going to dance Coppelia straight after Werther. I guess it must have come down at one o'clock or two o'clock it in the morning. It must have, yeah. I mean, can you imagine Misty Copeland hanging about saying, oh, is Jonas Kaufman finished yet? Because I've got to do my, my show. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that, I think that's just a thing that's like the taste or the the uh, the accepted behavior of the times. But to Anna Pavlova, it was a show. It was, this is what I do. You know, this is, this is what I'm going to be showing. Apparently, the second performance, there were very, very few people watching Werther that night and an awful lot of people watching Kelly. Interesting. Well, I, th- I think... Most of the art forms that I deal with on a regular basis have become a little too hidebound in our in our day, and I'm am anxious to see our audience, you know, enjoy your production of La Mancha. I, yeah. Thank you. I would really encourage people to come uh, with an open mind and see what is a fantastic story with absolutely wonderful music. I mean, there's some really deeply moving and deeply funny music in this piece. Um, and and as I said, if you like a good night out at the theatre and you like a uh, you know, a, a great song. You, you're absolutely going to love this piece. That's I, th- I. I don't think I could end it any better than that. I do have one more question for you, though, Paul, and it's a tradition on the Ghostlight Podcast. We ask everyone this because of our name. Oh. I'm curious whether or not you, Paul Curran, have ever seen a ghost. Do you have a paranormal story to share with our audience? Um, have I ever? I don't. You know what, Jeff? I don't think I've ever actually seen a ghost, but I think I've heard one. Ah. I think I've heard, yeah, seriously, I think I've heard them and I think I've heard them all the time. So, 
I don't know if you know this about me, but I speak quite a few languages. I do know right? that. Yeah, Russian yeah, at least. So, I know that. <laughs> yeah, Russian. Yeah. But I speak about nine languages, and one of them is Spanish. I've never learned Spanish, and mm. it's only actually recently I've looked at any Spanish grammar. But I've heard Spanish in my head since I was a child. Really? And I grew up in the west of Scotland, uh-huh. where the most Spanish thing that I ever saw was an orange. <laughs> so. I, and I've heard the Spanish in my head. I went to a clairvoyant once years and years ago, you know, as people do. And this clairvoyant said to me, you're going to learn Spanish and you're going to learn Spanish because somebody's going to be talking to you in Spanish and it's a Spanish monk from the 15th century or something like that. I've never seen anything, but I've definitely heard it. I think you've just given us the plot for a great opera. Uh, someone there needs, you go. Someone opera needs... director looking for an orange here Spanish. <laughs> and go. <laughs> that might actually be the perfect title too. Paul Curran, great story, great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on the Ghost Light Podcast. Thank you very much. Pleasure. This week, Utah Opera will present one of the most beloved musical masterpieces of all time, Mitch Lee's Man of La Mancha at Capitol Theater for five performances, running January 21 to 29. Experience the compelling tale of a knight errant, Don Quixote, and his obsessive quest for the impossible dream, made famous in the Broadway production and on film. Tickets and information are available at utahopera.org. The Ghost Light Podcast is produced by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dory Eccles Foundation.